Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of issues, trends, and developments in future fuels, vehicles, and transportation energy. I'm your host, Tammy Klein. I'm founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. And with me today is my friend, Fred Gatala, who is the Director of Carbon and Sustainability for Advanced Biofuels Canada. Fred, welcome to the program. Thanks, Sammy. Good to be here. <laughs> Good here. to have you. Where, wherever here is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a moving target these days. So let me tell you all a little bit about Fred before we uh, get into the discussion. Fred leads ABFC's work to establish biofuel carbon value, life cycle analyses and regulations, and sector engagement and sustainability initiatives. Fred has over 13 years of experience in climate change policy and services, including sustainability standards development, environmental management, system assurance, developing emission quantification protocols, fuel LCA models, a whole uh, burrito in and of itself, and corporate social uh, responsibility report verification. He is a partner of Waterfall Group uh, based in Vancouver, British Columbia, a beautiful, beautiful place. So Fred, it's great to have you uh, on the show today. I've known Fred for many years now, so I'm super excited to to have you. And um, what we're going to talk about today is the Clean Fuel Standard uh, proposal that was recently released by Environment and Climate Change Canada. So let's get into it. Um, The proposal came out in December of 2020. Comments were due in March. Uh, What was um, ABFC's um, reaction to the proposal? And which provisions would you say are most important for the members? And which ones are you guys finding a little problematic? Yeah, I'll start off. It's it's great to be here, and we could spend a lot of time talking about the clean fuel standard. Um, now we're calling it the clean fuel regulation. So as soon as we all got comfortable saying CFR, <laughs> CFS, we're seeing we're saying yes. CFR. So yes. in Canada, thanks for correcting Canada, me. <laughs> oh, I correct myself all the time and other people. Um, but you know, in Canada, we have our federal renewable fuel standard, but it's actually the renewable fuel regulations. So it's RFR. So we're slightly different. So this is now the CFR, the clean fuel regulations, plural. So it's, um, so when you said December, that was the release of draft regulations. So Mm -hmm. that is the most meat on the bone we've gotten from Environment and Climate Change Canada since the concept of the CFS was brought forward uh, I think the last days of 2015 um, yeah, really started. Time. Yeah, this is this, so. This has been a long time coming. Um, those of us in the sector who have been involved since day zero, um, we definitely applauded the milestone of draft regs being released. If the current Canadian renewable fuel regulation is one of the most simple around, you could say that the CFR is making up for it in terms of. <laughs> all the complexity that's that's involved with it. So there's there's lots of different aspects to it, but it's worth recognizing that this grew out of the pan-Canadian frame, framework on clean growth and climate change, which is the government of Canada, the current government, so the, the liberal, the government led by the, the Liberal Party of Canada with um, 
with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, their major climate omnibus approach to reach and now exceed um, Paris Agreement targets and now go even further than that after the Biden um, Biden's climate summit, where now we're targeting 40 to 50, 40 to 45 percent below 2005 emissions. So the CFR is the part of that that really approaches um, decarbonizing liquid fuels. I mean, 80% of our liquid fuels are used in transportation. This is where those emissions will be captured through regulation um, as opposed to a carbon pricing mechanism. We have we have carbon pricing in place federally, implemented provincially. We just had a Supreme Court case that um, validated the constitutionality of it. Whole separate podcast, right? We're talking about the CFR. <laughs> Sounds on this. like the United States. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's you need you need all of it. We're just as a little aside, um, bef- not to get down the the wormhole of carbon pricing. But I think anybody that is knows how it works knows that carbon pricing alone is not sufficient. You need actual regulation um, that can help drive things. Um, so that's what the CFR um, intends to be. Right. So what we had released in December 18th was, you know, about almost 1500 pages of reg text background material that made for a very exciting Christmas holidays, holiday <laughs> holidays. None of us were popular with our family, but I think a lot of dads and moms were getting up early um, mm-hmm. and staying up late and getting through this material. And it was actually kind of nice because I printed it out. I read it hard copy, you know, had some cookie crumbs on it um, while I was reading it over the holidays <laughs> and, and got to, and got to know it because mm-hmm. like you said, comments were due March 4th. So that's a 75 day comment window. And during that time, we got through all the material. We connected with our membership, our peer associations, talked to the primary suppliers, you know, the oil codes, the refiners, forestry, agriculture, the government of Canada had a, um, you know, about, I think, 24 hours of total webinar content. So there was a huge digestion process for us mm-hmm. to get up to speed on it. And there's no, like, there is a highlight of issues um, that, that we'll talk about that are, that are the main things that we're interfacing with, but there's so many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that is to say it's, it's, it's a significant opportunity. I mean, this is a <clears throat> decadal opportunity for expanding clean fuel production in Canada. I mean, we at ABFC, Advanced Biofuels Canada, we see this reg really being the signal to double or treble clean fuel production capacity in Canada. Um, massive. We think we'll go from two and a half billion liters, liters to six and a half billion because of this reg. And if it's designed properly, there's a lot of issues. So I'd say at the top, you know, what is the primary room for improvement in the reg? What's the yeah. primary issue? It's the clarity of the signal. It's signal versus noise. So the CFS, I've described it to folks as uh, essentially an LCFS plus, 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 plus. Yeah. It really intends to include a big opportunity for upstream oil and gas emission reductions to participate in the clean fuel standard. Clean fuel regulation. 
right? (laughs) Sorry, caught myself. So, so the main thing is the signal. The main Mm -hmm. thing is the signal. How are renewable fuels going to participate? Is there a strong enough signal that we can pull in investment um, to Canada to produce renewable fuels here to to serve this market? We've we're in, we're heavily import dependent on refined fossil fuels in central and western Canada. We're import dependent on renewable fuels, um, especially on ethanol. So, are you um, saying that um, is 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 one of the more more problematic or potentially uh, problematic features, just the fact that all of all liquid fuels, I mean, and this is the only program in the world um, that would allow, you know, the, the total of all liquid fuels to participate in the, pro- in the program. And are you saying by virtue of that, that may create without stronger um, signals that may create an incentive to maybe not invest as much in, in in the bio space and and invest more in in other spaces to sort of get those carbon intensity reductions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So if if an RFS is very specific, we've mm-hmm. our federal RFS is five percent renewable alternatives right. to gasoline, ethanol. 2% renewable alternatives to diesel, which is biodiesel and renewable diesel, HDRD. This is very different. This takes <clears throat> most of the liquid fuels in Canada. So your gasoline, diesel, light fuel oil, heavy fuel oil, um, does not include um, avgas and jet fuel. We'll get into right. that um, mm-hmm. later in the call. Um, but it takes all of those and it. Um, multiplies them by their energy density, multiplies them by a grams per megajoule reduction target for that specific compliance period. The whole thing Mm -hmm. is 12 grams, but they break them out into different fuel pools and calculate a net net amount of debits that need Mm -hmm. to be covered by each obligated party in the reg they're called the primary supplier. And that becomes their obligation that they can meet through a number of different compliance pathways. It can be blending renewable fuels. So you can overcomply um, in the gasoline, the diesel, yeah. the LFO, the HFO fuel pools. It's not like it's a gasoline or diesel specific reg. Right. Um, you can comply through using upstream oil and gas credits. So CCS, enhanced mm-hmm. oil recovery, those are all compliance pathways. Right. Um, also, any we've got like a refinery improvement credit um, approach that's included in in the CFR, similar to California's, that there will be the ability to generate credits from that. So there's a lot of different options. EVs included, fuel switching, gaseous yeah. credits. So there's not there's a lot of opportunity for mitigation and many different fuel pools, mm-hmm. but ex- knowing exactly how that will impact, say, renewables and diesel, renewables and gasoline, it's hard to determine. So Environment and Climate Change Canada, when they released their draft reg, they included what's called a regulatory impact analysis statement. So this is their modeling of the economic impacts, climate impacts, what compliance looks like. And so they show that by 2030, this would result in 15% ethanol and gasoline, 6% 6% renewable diesel and diesel, 5% biodiesel in the diesel pool. 
And that's going to be approximately 45% of where all of the credits for compliance will come from. So it's hmm. potentially, potentially huge. Yeah. But that's not necessarily how the market will respond. There's no, there's no limit to how many um, upstream oil and gas credits can be used. So it's like, maybe if you look at a corollary, then the Europe's fuel quality directive has UERs, upstream emission reductions. I think those are limited to about 25 or 27% Mm -hmm. of compliance here, no limitation. So if you think about it, a primary supplier could essentially comply with this CFR through upstream only. So not even reducing combustion emissions, but getting 100% of the compliance from um, you know, pre-combustion emission reductions. So what's, so, that's the answer, so what's the answer to that? Is it uh, to, you know, point this out and then to um, ask for such limits uh, to, to be included? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, it's, it's finding a way to really be sure that the CFR addresses scope three emissions. Mm-hmm. It really addresses the the CO2E that's emitted to the atmosphere from the combustion of, of liquid fuels. So a couple of concepts. Um, one of them would be what we what we think is aptly described as a net zero backstop. So the government of Canada has committed to legislating net zero emissions by 2050. You don't get to net zero unless you address combustion emissions. Mm-hmm. So what we'd like to see between now and final regulations in December, 2021, is that there's some type of guardrails put on um, the upstream component so that while it is able to participate, it doesn't eclipse the other scope three emission reductions opportunities right. that are from blending renewables, you know, switching drivetrains to, you know, zero emission vehicles, ZEVs, mm-hmm. um, EVs, et cetera. So making sure that one doesn't grow larger than the other is, is how, we're, how we're approaching that. Different ways to approach it. I mean, the net zero backstop so that compliance category one, which is the upstream, isn't bigger than two and three combined. So it doesn't sound like you, there's, there's you know, because I think what's different about the Canadian proposed program as well is the different compliance categories. Um, and yes, you know, other, other programs like the, like the California LCFS um, or even Red 2 include sort of features of it, but maybe the way that it is presented and structured, I think is, um, is pretty, uh, is, is pretty unique for Canada. So it's not necessarily an issue with, you know, the, the structure of those compliance categories, it is putting on the, the guardrail so that emissions, um, upstream emissions really are, uh, reduced and that it doesn't swallow the potential for, you know, for other categories. And that includes EV charging as well as it does, for uh, the various biofuel types. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We've got a, our upstream oil and gas emissions are a major source of GHGs in Canada. Um, we need to really attack methane emissions. We need to you know, reduce emissions from 
um, you know, natural gas use in the oil patch. There's, there's lots of things we need to do there. Um, the issue is that when you've got kind of a mercantilist system where an emission reduction achieved upstream removes the requirement to reduce combustion emissions through renewable fuels or EVs, um, that's where we see part of the, the, the nuance of mm-hmm. how this reg can be most effective is being sure that they don't crowd each other out. If I'm an obligated party, um, if I'm an oil company, um, if I reduce my upstream emissions through carbon capture and sequestration, CCUS, right? The, the thing about that is that that enables me to use that unit for compliance instead of blending renewables downstream. If I blend renewables downstream, I don't have that refining margin on that renewable volume that I'm selling. It's actually displacing fossil fuel. Um, so it's easier for me or more economically attractive for me to reduce an upstream emission and then you know, have a higher fossil slate that I'm putting into the market. Yeah. So, but at the same time, it's it's important that we address these upstream emissions. Yeah. It's important that we do this. Um, mm-hmm. So let's just ratchet up the the overall um, target of the reg. Mm-hmm. Let's put in place that net zero backstop concept, um, and let's be sure that upstream and downstream both both move together. So how has like I mean I realize the the comment period closed uh, in March. There'll be um, a lot of uh, internal processing before the 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 rule is finalized later this year. But have you received any sorts of um, you know indications of what the government might be thinking, especially in response to some of the things that we're talking about now, especially this upstream issue? Yeah, I mean, this is Canada. I mean, our our oil and gas um, sector is fundamental to us being able to reduce emissions. It's, it's really important that they uh, are on board, and we actually see that. We see investments of where I am, where I am in British Columbia. We have, I mean, only two refineries, and they're relatively small, but both of them are pursuing co-processing. Both of them are considering renewable diesel um, additional investments. So we are seeing um, co-processing as a compliance pathway being explored in a very serious way by Mm -hmm. our refining community. Mm -hmm. Um, So we get, you know, there's, um, right now we're past the official comment deadline. We're in the kind of government relations 101 approach where um, it is media, it's targeted meetings, it's, um, you know, connecting with stakeholders, it's um, communicating the merits of our proposal and those that we um, co-create with other with other organizations to try to have that be reflected in the final reg. And of course, the primary suppliers are doing the same, the same thing. Um, but I think at the end of the day, all of us want a regulation that that works um, that that helps um, our refining and energy sector transition. I mean, the thing thing about how it works is that the government governments set rules. Right. Industry maximizes profit within those rules. So it's really important that 
you know, clear, bright lines be set up by, by the clean fuel regulation. We don't, we don't want to go through <laughs> the, the, a situation. You remember yeah. the, like the, the European Union. Um, I was just thinking the same thing, the red well, di- disaster, the ILUC directive. I mean, it was just. Well, even before that, yeah. even, even like the, so the EU emission trading scheme, right. When that, when that came out, this is like, you know, that was incredible. I mean, Europe's been fantastic with putting these these things out, but the European emission trading scheme, when it started such high hopes, and then you saw the carbon price just go into mm-hmm. the basement for nearly a decade. Yeah. And that was because there was just so many hot air credits. There were so yeah. many J, JI credits. There were so many CDM credits that were not additional. And it took so long to work those through the system before there was actually some bite to that. So what yeah. we want to do is kind of preserve a really clear signal that is, yeah. let's put in low carbon fuels into our fuel supply. Um, let's reduce combustion emissions. Um, let's do all of those things rather than starting with a really long credit market that has you know full banking and all of those things because it'll we'll miss the opportunity for not to you know be dramatic but we'll definitely miss the opportunity for 1.5 degrees mm-hmm. um, if we don't design regs like this yeah. um, to actually have um, teeth in the initial years you were thinking of the ETS and I was which is actually true and actually the long-term effect of that is even though uh, some of those loopholes were closed is that there still is a lingering mistrust of carbon um, credit trading. Um, And so, um, you know, I think that that's, um, you know, and now there really are some, you know, know, programs uh, around the world that that can really, you know, that that can really work. Um, And perhaps there's a, there's a lack of trust um, in their ability to, to do, you know, what they say they're going to do you know, as a result, you know, of, of that. But the thing, other thing that I was thinking too, is I was thinking about, um, you know, programs like, you know, the Renewable Energy Directive where the certainty is not provided. The project developers need the certainty. They need to know that if they're going to build, uh, you know, raise the funding, um, you know, and build the facility, you know, that there's going to be a, a market for it. Um, and, uh, you know, that they're going to have a, a business. Um, and so, um, you know, I think some of the, the twists and turns in that regulation, I mean, we could use some others as an example as well, I think have really introduced a lot of, a lot of uncertainty that hopefully this program, you know, or, or ECCC can kind of look at that and potentially avoid it, you know, by, by making sure that the guardrails are up and really providing certainty, you know, to prospective producers, especially on the advanced side. Yep. That's exactly right. I mean, we see this as a, you know, a chance to add $10, $10 billion to the Canadian economy, a chance yeah. to add 20,000 new jobs to the Canadian economy. It's, it's a big opportunity for growth, for building back better. It's, um, a key part of the COVID-19 recovery efforts. So we think that that investment angle to getting the right clean fuel design is, is definitely um, 
the most persuasive and important right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've, there's, you know, I think Ottawa is very close to DC. Ottawa is also very close to Brussels. So we see a lot of things that are similar, um, between the, the different policies. Like we've got essentially from on the sustainability side, we've got something that proposes to point directly to EPA's, um, RFS approach, which is um, approving petitions for aggregate compliance. So right now, as it's written, um, U.S. renewable fuel feedstocks would comply with the the, the land expansion criteria, or actually right. you call that you call that anti land expansion, where you know we don't we want to be sure that we're not encroaching um, onto sensitive areas and we're just expanding agricultural land. So that's built into mm-hmm. to the CFR, but we have the um, the EU's delegated regulation on ILUC reference right. in our draft regulation, um, which currently just excludes palm and palm and related related feedstocks. Um, we don't um, palm and, and derived fuels from right. all types of palm feedstocks. We don't have um, currently we don't have any introduction of multipliers into the reg like. The European Union's RED2 mm-hmm. has significant, yeah. significantly. Yeah. So lots of lots of similarities, lots of differences. But I think what we've landed on is just it's an LCFS plus. Yeah. And remember that this was going to be um, oh. also include gaseous fuels. I do. Going to include solid fuels. I don't know how that was going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, well, now, well, you got the memo. Now, now it doesn't. Um, but ten percent of your credits can come from um, gaseous, so reducing emissions in in the gaseous fuel stream. So there's a lot of pathways to compliance yeah. here. Yeah. And um, one other kind of small little violin I pull out is that we don't have an LCA model yet. We're not. We don't have so, visibility on this. So I was going to ask you about that because, as you know, I've reviewed the the rule um, or the, the proposal, proposed rule myself or proposed reg myself. And, um, yeah, there's, there's nothing in there on the LCA, but the LCA is, frankly, foundational to everything. So, um What's your view on that? Is there's there's no um, you know yeah there's there's no visibility um, on that at all and you know and I'm trying to write about how you know life cycle you know how how uh, basically CI carbon intensity values were assigned and I really can't explain because there's really no model um, available. Yep there there's no model yet it's it yet. Um, it's supposed to be released uh, with final regs that we call Canada Gazette 2. That's like the registrar here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the department has indicated is that the model will be ready for final regulations. And at that time, there will be what's called a stakeholder technical advisory committee. So this is um, LCA wizards that'll help improve the model so that it's ready to go. But we're you know, you get on a plane and the, the captain says there's going to be some turbulence during takeoff. That's what that's what we're expecting. We're expecting a bit of a turbulent ride with the model, um, with getting CI scores approved. We know that from 
any of your members that are in the LCFS market in California know that staff resources can be stretched to approve new pathways. So we're going to have some onboarding challenges to get all of, um, you know, all of our members pathways registered or there there could be delays to get that in. So I'd expect that in the initial years of the program that firms will be using default CIs, provisional CIs, and then final CIs. And it'll be a process to get through to the final ones. And then there will be true ups among um, contracted entities for the credits with, if they, um, if the CI score is vastly improved as you go from default to provisional to final, um, that those credits will be reallocated back, but turbulent takeoff. Yeah. (laughs) But a takeoff nonetheless. (laughs) <laughs> that's 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 the key thing. That's that's the key thing. What we want is for um, the ability to review the policy, make adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have have uh, you know regulation that can reflect on what's in the market and how the market's proceeding, and make adjustments and move forward. We want there to be some tension for. Yeah. Uh, more renewable fuel blending. So the last questions I wanted to ask you about is revolves around sustainable aviation fuel. So um, I know that ABFC has, uh, through its its membership and approval from the board, has uh, formed uh, an SAF caucus in Canada. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, And what kinds of policies do you think um, the SAF industry really needs to scale up in Canada. Is it beyond what we see in the proposed CFR? Um, you know, what, what what kinds of things might be needed? Yes. Um, so ABFC, Advanced Biofuels Canada, we formed a SAF caucus. Um, imagine it's just like a working group within our membership of companies that are actively pursuing SAF production um, in their locations outside of Canada and potentially in Canada. So we've got in within our tent um, a broad range of members. So we've got potential HEFA production, um, alcohol to jet, you name it. So important for us to um, you know, align and, and find common ground between our organizations for presenting those policy um, notes forward. So um, what do we need for SAF in Canada? Um, prior to COVID-19, prior to draft regs, everyone, uh, I'll say everyone was expecting there to be some type of carbon intensity reduction requirement for jet fuel. Mm -hmm. And with the caveat that, you know, SAF is about a decade behind more um, other renewable fuels. So if you want SAF into the jet fuel supply in Canada, you actually need to do something that requires it to be used. Otherwise, aviation fuels, carbon intensity credits um, would be sought and um, supplied through, say, ethanol, EV charging, upstream oil and gas. Like nothing would actually result in SAF being used in in the jet fuel supply, which is why, say, in the 
the RED2, there's the 1.2 multiplier, right? Mm -hmm. there, you want to get over that additional processing cost to get SAF into the fuel supply. Yeah. So prior to COVID, we thought that was going to be included. Um, we knew Avgas was going to be excluded, but we thought that that would be included. And right. the reg makes a lot of reference to Corsia and ICAO, et cetera. But we thought there would be something. Right now, it's totally opt-in for now. Mm -hmm. um, we've responded that we think there's an opportunity to consider a CI reduction requirement in the future, taking into account there would need to be measures to help it get into the aviation fuel supply. Right. So um, we've got budget 2021 that was released in April, has about $100 billion of, of new spending. Um, a fair chunk of that is towards clean fuels that SAF would be included for. So we think there's a, there's a funding aspect to this that, that will help. So there's the, the 1.5 billion Canadian dollar clean fuel fund, the um, low carbon zero emission fuel fund is, is what it's called that could um, apply to SAF production. So opportunities, there's um, federal procurement measures that are included in the budget that could include SAF. But ultimately, I think what we need is what we see other countries doing, which is a specific SAF-focused mandate policy. Mm -hmm. um, so everyone's watching what I think refuel aviation in the EU is, is going to propose. Quite clear that that will be some type of, of blending obligation. Um, so I think that's something that we could use federally and provincially. Um, we've got provinces like British Columbia that are, they actually consulted on the ability to include jet fuel in their LCF regulation. So mm -hmm. quite possible that they could obligate or could obligate in the future any jet fuel placed into the market in British Columbia to have SAF or you know low carbon aviation fuel, however you define it, content mm -hmm. in it. So, so I think regulation is probably what's what's going to be needed and whether that takes the form of a specific aviation jet fuel carve out in the CFR or something standalone like a like a mandate could be could be useful we've also sorry tammy the we've got our a carbon tax here yeah. in canada uh right now aviation pays it for flights um within a province if they're in a, a backstop jurisdiction that is a a, a province where the federal price is in place. So there's some opportunity to alleviate SAF from the carbon price. There would be some adjustments need to be made to do that in the, mm -hmm. in the regulation. So carbon pricing, um, use requirements, funding, federal procurement. And those are the really, the really key parts to, to make it take off as it were. So what I was going to ask is, um, what about uh, tax credits? Because that has been proposed here in the U.S. The aviation industry uh, seems to support it. The SAF producers seem to support it. Um, it's clear the White House, um, you know, supports it because it was is was in the tax plan accompanying the uh, the infrastructure bill, which you. I'm sure you know about and have heard about and read about. Um, you know, it seems to have some uh, level of uh, congressional interest. You know, there's a there's a bill out there. 
um, that would put into place this tax credit. Um, what about the same for Canada? Is that a potentiality? Yeah, we've we've been looking south um, over the 49th parallel at a lot of activity in the Congress for SAF. The SAF Act by Representative Brownlee um, was a really key signal about where this could be going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we're we're aware of the different um, proposals for a SAF blenders tax credit. I mean, linking it to carbon intensity. That's definitely definitely appealing. Um, so in Canada, we've got a carbon price that is um, going to one hundred and seventy dollars per ton by twenty thirty. Big numbers. Um, so right now they have an exemption structure in place under what's called the Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act, where mm-hmm. if you are above ten percent renewables and gasoline, that's carbon price exempt. If you're above 5% renewables and diesel, that's carbon price exempt. So when you have a big number for a carbon price charge and renewables are exempt from that, it's basically a baked in blender's tax credit that is through the tax act rather than um, necessarily um, program funding. So if you take it to $170 per ton and you put a hundred, say, a CFR credit value of a hundred of a hundred dollars, um, which is, I think, right middle of the road of of where the expectations are the credit value to be. You're at about a dollar sixty a gallon of SAF um, avoided um, carbon tax, mm-hmm. and about a dollar a dollar and sixty five cents of value. It comes from carbon pricing and the CFR. So all, all to say that that could be a mechanism in Canada for having the same benefit of a, of a blender's tax credit. So that could be fairly, fairly massive. Um, it definitely comes down to what are the other parts in place, like how much yeah. you know, non-dilutive capital is available through different funding programs to get things to actually cite here. That's the key part. Um, but we see... You know, you you watch the news also. Um, renewable diesel plants are yep. now increasingly saying, "Yeah, we're going to include SAF as you know ten percent," mm-hmm. because remember, all SAF is renewable diesel, right? It's C eight C eight to sixteen. So yep, that's right. If you've got distillation, you can you can do that, and then we've got pathways for potentially for, for, for renewable naphtha. So all of these ways to add value to renewable, renewable diesel processing platforms. So, you know, I think that SAF will be a big part of the, the Canadian market. We're having projects announced here mm-hmm. um, to, to produce SAF along with renewable diesel. If the US EPA approves the petition uh, to have canola be uh, mm-hmm. a, an approved renewable diesel feedstock, you know, that really does open the door for more Canadian oil seed feed stocks to participate in renewable diesel and, and have SAF be part of that. That's amazing. All right. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Fred so much for being on the show today and talking to us about the CFR. You can uh, believe that I'm not going to forget <laughs> CFR from now on. I've been calling it CFS for all this time. Um, great to have you on the show. Hope you come back as uh, as events uh, develop. 
And uh, for the listeners and the watchers, if you are looking for more uh, information, analysis on future fuels and transportation energy issues, go to my website, transportenergystrategies.com. Sign up for my free biweekly newsletter to keep abreast of what's happening out there and rate this podcast so that uh, it can become more visible and others can benefit from it. Thanks again for listening.